Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Tracy Thomason was born in Gaithersburg, Maryland in 1984. She lives and works in Brooklyn, New York. Tracy received her BFA at the Maryland Institute College of Art in 2006 and her MFA at the Cranbrook Academy of Art in 2008. Her solo shows include Cuevas Tellier Gallery, Tiger Strikes Asteroid, and her current show at Marinaro Gallery. She's had group exhibitions at Imperial College London, Devening Projects in Chicago, 106 Green in Brooklyn, Greenpoint Terminal Gallery, TSA LA, Jeff Bailey Gallery, James Fuentes, and many more. Her work has been covered in The New Yorker, Art Info, The Brooklyn Rail, New American Paintings, and several other publications. She's attended the Atlantic Center for the Arts Residency with Dana Schutz in Florida and received a Joan Mitchell Foundation Scholarship. She's taught at the Interlochen School of the Arts, Cooper Union, MICA, Drew University, and the University of Tennessee. I met up with Tracy in her Brooklyn studio on the occasion of her solo show at Marinaro on the Lower East Side, and we discussed her school days and destined path, her working as a personal chef, the materiality in her paintings, and even Alfred Lord Tennyson. Here's our conversation. And um, there's like such a rich history there in terms of traditional painting. And I definitely want to start, you know, doing plain air paintings again and, you know, just not having a particular kind of expectation for what what that would would be for me. I know. Plain air painting seems so nice. Mm -hmm. Just now, too, getting away from kind of like, you know, busyness, turning off the world and going out. The idea of that seems like a real luxury. Just Absolutely. Going out the and painting. Or just like I mean, need some vitamin D or something. Yeah. You know, um, you know when I when I've choosing when I'm choosing studios in in New York, like where I'm going to try to go, I always opt for something that has more square footage than, you know, a beautiful like window or or things of that nature. And so there's something that I'm really interested in in terms of like simulating like light or like the feeling of like being outside what that would like do for me um but even when i when i was in grad school i was making paintings that were abstract but they were actually kind of like plain air paintings i would take like a six by eight foot painting out like drag it out and like tie it like to a tree with a rope and just kind of go at it because it just feels good to be outside yeah this is nice space though this is kind of perfect right I couldn't be happier with the layout. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so functional. And the all white is real. I mean, it's just really kind of works. I know. Uh, these are these are big. Oh, that's what we're, we're going to start right into like talking about specific pieces. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly what we said we were going to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. So, but those are big pieces, and they they look comfy in here. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a longer term project. You know, kind of scaling up um, what I've been doing for the past. A uh, few years. Yeah, because the show you have up now isn't nearly that big. No, yeah. no, not at all. I think the um, there are two kind of mid-sized pieces that are in it, and um, 
you know, those are like two out of three that I've made that size ever. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you like working small traditionally? Um, traditionally, I came work from working really large and that being like the most comfortable format for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of these things where I felt like I could learn more about something I could see better. And so I wanted to try to start making work that I could make in my lap and literally be like six inches away from it and right. see what happened. It's hard, right? Making a good small painting. Mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. harder to make an impactful small painting than a, yeah. a really good big painting. Mm-hmm. They kind of immediately, you know, command your attention in a way, just physically. Right, right, But right. yeah, the smaller ones are tricky. To yeah. make those sing, you really got to work harder, I think. Yeah, and I think that there's something about uh, uh, challenging it out of being fussy, too, when you can see every, like, all of the minutia as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more intimate, you know, than something large-scale like that. Mm-hmm. So before we talk about all this stuff in your show, what about you? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Maryland um, in a very suburban neighborhood. It was the uh, Gaithersburg, Germantown area, uh, like the last train line to get into uh, Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So I was about 45 minutes away from D.C. and Baltimore. Right. Um, and, and Baltimore is where I ended up going to um, undergraduate school at um, Micah. Yeah, Germantown isn't. Don't a lot of people live there? Um, their people work for the government or do yeah. something government related. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My father worked for the government. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That brought you there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> How was that? <laughs> or the school system? You know, was was really good yeah. for public schools as well in that capacity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it? Um, was that interesting? I mean, are your parents creative? Um, on my mother's side, all of the women um, are or were artists. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, Your yeah. Your mom's an artist? Yeah. Uh-huh. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and she worked more in like a commercial like graphic design sense. But in this way that I've been noticing now is carrying over into my work a lot, um, you know, because I remember growing up her working in such an analog format, um, doing a lot of transfers, um, with text and and also image, um, but like yeah, taping to line things up, and it was um, yeah only until much later where she kind of like had to relearn like how to do it digitally, which was a different kind of challenge. And all that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so when you were growing up, there was like a hands-on design. Like she was doing stuff. Was it at home? Did she work at home? She worked at home, and oh, then sometimes cool. she worked in an office as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you were around it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. And your dad was never around because he worked for the government. Right. Right. My parents divorced, and you know the that relationship dissolved in in a really um, like fast kind of way. Oh, um, so yeah. you were you were with your mom most of the time. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And she so she's fully supportive of creative endeavors. I would yeah. imagine. Yes. Absolutely. Did you have a good high school art teacher? It did. It yeah. did. Robert Youngblood. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> So he was, I was that kind of, I find a lot of people I talk to, you know, a lot of artists have a really good early experience mm-hmm. with, um, you know, in school taking art classes. Was that kind of like the place you felt most comfortable or excelled or were you into a lot of stuff or? That's, I mean, I always knew that this is what I wanted to do um, and kind of focused my, like, or curated um, all of my classes to spend as much time um, exploring that as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you had Micah right there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was a, 
that's a good school to be super close to, right? Yeah, yeah. Although it's funny, I just didn't, I only ended up applying to one college. That was it. And I got in. And mm-hmm. so it all worked out. But I, there was not much planning as far as it went. No backup plan. <laughs> I had no backup plan. Did you think about it? Or did you just think? No, yourself, I was just like, I'm, I'm just going to do this. I'm getting in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you could have taken a year and then applied again. Right, 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 right. So how was Micah? Um, it was amazing. Yeah, it's a, um, you know, it was a very kind of traditional school um, early on. So I have like a really strong foundation in terms of like painting and drawing skills. And um, I was a general fine arts major, which allowed me to um, like take classes in all of the different disciplines. I worked in fiber and printmaking and um, sculpture as well. And um, I mean, I think all of that's really informative to how I approach painting today. Yeah. Like, not exclusive to um, a particular... Um, <laughs> it, particular work. tools, yeah. Yeah, so you were re- kind of had a, had a well-rounded education as far as art's concerned. Absolutely. Did you... Did, did you you get to take any classes outside of art? I mean, do they have general studies classes there? Or was it pretty much all art? All it was pretty much all art. We were required to take um, a couple of literature classes. All of the history ones um, could be fulfilled just through uh, all of the art history courses. I took one biology class, but I think we were mainly li- like watching um, Attenborough films the whole time, <laughs> which I was fine with. Right, right. <laughs> kind of like possible inspiration for future work or something. Right, Less right. so like gritty biology, but more <laughs> kind of creative side of it. Maybe? Right, I think it just uh, teaches you to look at right. everything. In like natural life, think about like nature Yeah. in a way. So when you were about to graduate, you had a, a pretty clear idea that you were going to study get an MFA or? Yes, what? that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Did you take any time off in between? No. Straight to, man, you had your path. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Just go, go, go. (laughs) So where did you go to school for graduate school? Uh, Cranbrook Academy of Arts. How was that? In Michigan. Uh, So special. It's such a small program and very isolated. It's like in this gated community on a beautiful ground. um, And um, worked really closely with one faculty member, Beverly Fishman, who's Mm -hmm. still there. And she's amazing um, and comes to New York often. So. Um, I feel lucky to have that relationship continue. That's cool. And did you meet a lot of people there that you're still kind of in contact with here in the city, or was it? More yeah. Than, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had you got the graduate school like kind of core group of people. Yeah. And Micah too, I would imagine that some people still. Well, there was a bit of a, yeah, it was a bit of a feeder school in a certain sense, a small level. Um, Bev, she taught there um, in the '90s, and so I met her when she came back to be a visiting thesis teacher for me. Um, So I met with her twice um, when I was applying to schools. Also, Jessica Dickinson went through that same path as well. And so I had met her um, when I was 21, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you were in Cranbrook, you thought to yourself, as soon as this is over, I'm moving to to New York? Yes. So you (laughs) (laughs) did you already have your studio lined up before you... Yes, I didn't even look at anything. It's a similar way. I never visited Cranbrook before I applied and, uh-huh. and went. And um, when I was moving to New York, I had like $300 after I paid rent on um, 
an apartment and on a studio that I had never seen before. I just asked people to go check out these like Craigslist ads for me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just came straight in. Mm -hmm. And um, what did you do when you first came? Were you... Did you have to get the day job? Or oh you, yeah, very yeah. much so. But and I and I still am doing that in some capacity for the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, it's transformed itself a little bit. And, um, yeah, I I didn't even I don't think I even had a computer at that time. So I was like also applying to jobs on Craigslist and you know sent out maybe twenty um, application fields and got one call back from a family to babysit for them. And so that's what I did for years. Um, and I'm doing a lot of private chef work now. And so that's a skill that I've developed from that time as well. And it's incredibly fulfilling and creative too. Um, and really flexible with maintaining a studio practice too. Right. Did you, um, did you always cook? No. I mean, yes. And on like a functional level. Right, just day to day. Day to day. Um, I mean, I started cooking when I was in college. And, um, Wait, what? Isn't that when you're supposed to know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Isn't that when you like, forget what a kitchen is? That's what I did. I don't think I ever used my, in my entirety of college. I don't know if I cooked at all, but... But yeah, so you started cooking, you got into it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had one class that felt really special, and we were all very close. So it was a contemporary painting class, and um, we would go to somebody's house afterwards and like cook a big meal, kind of take turns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was interesting, you know, because we it was an international school as well, and so that's where I could like learn how to. Um, you know, cook some Japanese food mm-hmm. or Korean. Um, That's cool. Yeah. That's such a great idea. I think we should do more of that. Like I know. Big, giant artist group dinners. Totally. I, mean, I know some people do it, but it should. Uh, it's it's such a great way to sort of talk and, you know, to not. It's like at openings or at events or you know, it's it's a certain vibe. But when you're eating, it just creates a whole different conversation. Right. No, I just love all like a spread on a table and everybody can just relax and graze. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. it takes a big table. I have a, <laughs> I have a very, <laughs> I, don't have. I just bought my first kitchen table and it's very modest in right. scale, but yeah. I love it. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I teach with a, with a guy who has a beautiful house and this really long table, like a dining table. And there's a fireplace right behind it. It's the perfect place. Mm-hmm. And he has, pe- you know, lots of large groups of people over. And it's such a good way to, to converse. Totally. I wonder what that's like, though, too. I feel like I would never want to leave. I know. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, the the advantage of keeping some of your living situation a little Rough. uneasy. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> a willingness to leave at some point. But I, I think that, that, that that's what everybody in New York tells themselves. Right. It's like the, if like something's scratching you a little bit, it keeps you moving. Yeah. Or like the, yeah. the stone in the shoe. Yeah, you need a little resistance to mm-hmm. keep you motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, so that became a way for you to kind of pay the rent, but still have flexibility in the studio. Yes. And you said your first studio was in Sunset Park? Um, it was actually out here in Bushwick um, for about a year, mm-hmm. um, but I was commuting from Sunset Park, which was absolutely abs- absurd. Yeah, but, it's not a clear commute. Right, but I was uh, 24 and just didn't really care. Yeah. I was just like, I'm just going to do this and figure it out and you know, have it, had a different level of energy or how I wanted to spend my time <laughs> then, right. or, or expectation, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the willingness to be uncomfortable ratio for yeah. age and like how long you've been... And the city definitely 
changes yeah. over time. Yeah. So And then after that I was in Sunset Park, okay. yeah, for about six years. And when you were in school, in grad school, mm-hmm. what kind of work were you making? Uh, large abstract paintings Um, and it's funny to think about now in terms I think that the smaller paintings that I'm making now take longer to make than the six by eight foot paintings I was doing at that time oh really Mm -hmm. were they I mean were they less materially than they are now you know were they less physical they no not at all I was using all sorts of things Um, you know they were felt kind of collage based in a sense I was working in fur um, and I don't know, literal garbage of sort, or, you know, just like coming through, like using like trash bags and towels and bleaching them and, um, you know, everything but the kitchen sink was kind of the, the approach, um, but also why? working sculpt- sculpturally too. Well, why did you gravitate towards such a sort of collage-based or material-based work? I think I was, I was struggling with um, language with an abstract painting and by literally using something that has a name that I could call it outside of paint mm-hmm. made sense to me. Right. So you're building kind of relationships between objects as part of the language of abstraction. Yes. yes. Were there people that you were really into that were kind of influencing you or was it just something you were you know, carving out on your own? Right. Um, I felt like I was carving it out on my own, but then it was this funny time where um, art, like seeing art on the internet, became something that people did um, during, like at the beginning of my second year of graduate school. Um, And so I felt like I was working in isolation up until that point. Um, so I started seeing something that felt like a zeitgeist happening, like, oh, yeah. I kind of, like, identify with this thing, this, like, way of painting. I think the Unmonumental show had come out, and that was something I felt very close with at the time. But when I was working into integrating, like, materials that were non-painting-based, uh, um, it was kind of from, like, watching TV and just, like, um, archiving things that felt very um, kind of funny or... Um, female or of the body I was you know uh, just like going to places like Target and like harvesting things from like the makeup aisle and applying those onto the surfaces and spray tanners and um, it's, it's, all, all things that mimicked how you know painting and drawing materials kind of like functioned in a certain way or if you stepped really far away from the painting it could have like this like illusion of um, you know a texture or something that's similar right and then how did it? Did your practice change a little bit when you came to the city, just logistically from the studio and the spaces that you were in, the environment you were around, or did you pretty much stick to that kind of assemblage, like you know, found materials entering in the painting? Yeah, I continued working in that in that capacity, but I felt like there was something missing with um, not having the privilege to take my work outside mm-hmm. um, in a literal sense and and look at it. And I was like, oh, I wanted to burn things, but I. You know, I was like, I'm going to get in trouble or like, you know, I don't even know how to work a, like a fire extinguisher. <laughs> so I should figure those things out. <laughs> so I kind of uh, eventually started to like calm it down a little bit in terms of like the um, like the physical execution of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when did your work start to approach kind of like what it where it's at now? Uh, I started working on a, a series of drawings um, that kind of got me to, I, I think that that's kind of like the, the pinpoint um, for me. Um, and I was making drawings at the time with mascara, 
Um, And it looked like charcoal, it looked like paint. It was on um, like a really rough handmade paper. Um, And so then I was just using um, tools like X-Acto blades and bookbinding awls and carving back into it, um, kind of creating like a scratch board effect of sorts. Um, And so that process totally carries over to how I'm building the paintings now. Yeah, and it, it seems like there's this shift between surface and texture, and not as like a ground, but maybe sometimes as a ground, and then this sort of lyrical drawing on top of that. Mm-hmm. So, where did you come, or like, what does that combination mean to you? Or, or right, or it's like it does something for me. I wanted to continue accessing all of these different ways of working, or these. Um, natural impulses um, that I had one of work one of which is kind of coming from a mode that felt you know very aligned with like abstract ex- expressionism and and there's a certain kind of um, like fervor and almost like violence with the carving um, of of the surfaces that I kind of uh, approach and it felt very similar to like this um, you know like a Lucy like brained person mm-hmm. um you know and and some of the surfaces you know that when they're very textural i have a chunks of alabaster and pieces from other paintings that all just uh literally bash up like against each other and create um you know uh, variations and textures and combine those into the surfaces and so that was just a way for me to be like really physically active with the work mm-hmm. and then um, you know, I also wanted to um, have everything feel like kind of meditative and really thoughtful and um, working on a series of drawings and making blueprints for them and having a slow um, topical application is kind of how like the layering occurred. Yeah, they look like they weigh a ton, some of these. Some of them do. That one, <laughs> I, I, the, the six by eight foot painting I have yeah I can't move it on my own it's really heavy yeah it's, it's pretty not heavy. just a look <laughs> right I'll, I'll let you lift one side of it after yeah. we're done with this <laughs> it looks pretty uh, it looks pretty substantial in weight um so and, and I notice a lot of writing or words floating around the studio too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so what's your relationship to language like the written word to the painting is there a one-to-one going on there or is it just is it more loose and abstract A little bit of both. I mean, I think that that's kind of coming back to my relationship with collage and finding things and having some kind of like synchro mystical um, aspect to the work Mm -hmm. um, enter. Um, I'm reading constantly and listening to podcasts constantly. I think that we, we just spend so much time by ourselves and it's just this way to kind of like continue learning and keeping company by like other people's words and other people's language um and so I have like an archive that I kind of build in notes and start to um you know apply them to the paintings I'll put notes by things that kind of start to make sense to me yeah one of the things that jumped out when I saw your work and now it's even more kind of exaggerated here being in the studio because you get kind of the behind the scenes look you're not just walking around a gallery scene like you know, 12 or 15 paintings by themselves, is that it's this really interesting combination of kind of like a process or a kind of physical happening with the painting. And then 
this kind of lyricism and then thinking about language or these something completely tangential seemingly but has probably has a direct impact on what you're doing too it's a, it's a really odd combination to <laughs> me in, a, in an interesting way you know mm-hmm. like i don't i feel like you don't really see that every day and I, that's definitely the first time I've ever seen Alfred Lord Tennyson on someone's wall. In the <laughs> studio, <laughs> which is pretty cool. So are you really, are you taking kind of like randomly from history or, you know what I mean? Like how, it seems open, like what's influencing you in your work, but there's a definite kind of narrowing in on how you're executing it, you know? What is influence to you? Like, what is it? Is it wide open, or is it anything? And I guess the one other thing I want to touch on too is like music. Like, if there's a relationship there, right, right, right. Um, it feels wide to me, but I know that it's very specific. Um, you know, and I mentioned when when we were kind of arranging this that uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts mainly when I'm working in the studio, yeah. um, and and most of them are like very kind of like. Um, like I started listening to ones that were very like feminist and kind of intersectional and um, and so wanting to create like a space in my studio and in my work that allows for that kind of like inclusivity or um, like wanting the work to be able to feel um, like feminine and intelligent and I want the work to um, be something that you can kind of read and feel at the same time Mm -hmm. and not have it to be um like something that requires an explanation explicitly yeah that's interesting and what about so like i got like for for instance i think some of the paintings that i was doing um or that are up in the show right now at marinero um they kind of like the drawings came from them all at the same time after I had come back from the women's march in yeah. DC and I um, have this Karen Finley book that I found at the same time and so it's just like you know finding different ways to like exercise your feelings mm-hmm. um, and frustrations and wanting to create this space that also feels kind of hopeful and part of that hope is having um, the system not feel fascist. Right. Yeah. And it's really great too that there's so much work that's happening that it is born out of things like that, out of kind of like fighting or or kind of in reaction to something that's a negative, that's a real positive in its creativity. You might people might go see your show and have no clue that that was you know, born right. out of that experience, but it's something that is creative and positive out of that, which is really, I think, a great thing. And really interesting, too, because it's not illustrating, like, a feeling. It's it's kind of like a visceral kind of, like, reaction to an event like that or to an experience, which I think mirrors kind of the tactile, kind of visceral nature of the work. Like, it doesn't feel passive. It doesn't feel light or or it feels, like, substantial and kind of you know, invested in physical. Right. I, yeah, I think that it, it just felt really important for me to be making work that feels very clear and concise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's so much, and, you know, I, I guess recently there's been a lot of process-based abstraction or abstract work that feels kind of thin, you know, mm-hmm. or... And I think that that's, like, it's a literal thing as well. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or, but... 
you know, it could be shticky or like, you know, the, right, like this right, one right. trick pony thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't feel that when I saw the show, you know, I don't feel that in your work, but there is a dialogue with process based abstraction too. So, I mean, do you feel that you, and you were talking about unmonumental or like things when you're coming up. I mean, do you identify, uh, we all identify with a lot of art that doesn't look like our own artwork. Right, right, but is right. But how do you feel about the position your work fits in with some of that other work that might not be quite as deep or, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, I, honestly, I don't think too deeply about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess when I started to make this this kind of work and I started to exclude materials that felt very contemporary, like the makeup products or things of that nature, because those um, started to make me feel really fixed mm-hmm. um, in the practice. And I wanted um, to figure out a way to have the work feel like forever, if that makes some kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the way that I did that was to kind of have a start to, to build services that felt um, like they could be devices for time travel in a certain sense, thinking even more about them relating to something like cave painting right. even. Um, and I think that there's something, there's like a space in that kind of time that it's still very like mysterious mm-hmm. and it feels very genderless and open and this kind of like pioneering um, place. And, and so that's kind of what I'm, I'm thinking about with my work. Yeah, definitely. It's and you said that you're listening to a lot of podcasts, but I mean, are you a mu- music fan? Is there? Do you? I, I love music. Yeah, I'm not a musical person aside <laughs> aside from my love for karaoke. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. The, the karaoke talent aside, what do you like to listen to? <laughs> I'm usually listening to pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know like drake and miley cyrus and things like that um i think that they're just they feel really direct in their emotive content right um well drake could be the alfred lord tennyson of our day true true true. yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) he's a storyteller yeah Yeah. right pop music but do you i mean i could picture classical like you listening to classical music as well but not so much not so much not so much now i grew up listening to a lot of classical music Mm -hmm. you know Vivaldi and, and things right. of that nature, um, or um, things that are, are are less, I guess, like lyrically based, um, kind of like some like nineteen sixties, like more like psychedelic yeah. um, pieces are interesting to me. Like Alice Coltrane is incredible. Yeah. No one plays the harp like Alice Coltrane. It's uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> amazing stuff. <laughs> but do you go out to see music at all, or are you like? I I don't. Just karaoke. Just karaoke. Well, that's perfect <laughs> just, for the, <laughs> <laughs> this is like very self-satisfying. <laughs> and the pop, I mean, it's it's perfect for kind of pop music too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool. So yeah. when did uh, when you moved to your to New York and you started, you know, setting up your studio and stuff? How did you kind of get involved with showing your work? You know, when did you start showing? Right. Um, so I mentioned earlier um, Jessica Dickinson. She was somebody who. I felt such a strong kinship mm-hmm. um, in having a, a dialogue about painting, you know, from yeah, like the age of 21. And so we just kept in touch, um, you know, over over the years. And she curated a really amazing group show that was at Pace University where she was teaching. Um, and so when I first moved to New York, I had a painting that was um, 
a bit of a mandala shape and it was made out of fur and oil paint. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that was kind of the beginning and just, um, you know, going out to see shows and building a community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in being in a building like this where there's a lot of studios and artists, mm-hmm. is that a positive? Do you find yourself making connections through the studio as well? Um, at, at this point, I mean, I feel like uh, my time is so filled with all kinds of work and um, but I feel really lucky to have some close friends who are in the building and so they're you know mainly who I interact with on like more of like a daily or a weekly basis yeah mm-hmm. but I a lot of people who are in the area do a lot of local shows too or mm-hmm. have been in local shows and you know there's artists run spaces around is that something that you've kind of like have you befriended those people or been in any shows in those spaces? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think I had a, a solo show in 2010 in Philadelphia, but it was at the first Tiger Strikes asteroid oh, yeah. space. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was, I got to know Alex Pick through that, who um, started the satellite space out here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he went to Penn State for school. Oh. The connection. And, um, did you work with Matt Phillips as well? Um, no, no. He's somebody who I who I met after the fact. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's such a great like thing. And the fact that it's not just here and it's in different places. Right. I think is real positive. Like spaces like that can expose people to such, you know, wide variety of, of people in different areas. Right, so right. It's, it's great. So um, what do you have coming up after after this show are you just making some new stuff yeah I'm just rebuilding my my studio and um, seeing where things go yeah mm-hmm. and then you have uh, so the show up now is at Marinero mm-hmm. right? and when does it come down I believe the 22nd so of, there's, there's um, or maybe time. the 23rd yeah yeah do you have any plans for the holidays um, well I'm going to Texas for the first time what for, just for um, family or um, with my, my boyfriend uh-huh. grew up there and so so we're going out there you haven't been to Texas before no it's an interesting place I'm very excited is mm-hmm. it is it Austin it or is any, Austin or yeah 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 I feel like Texas is Austin and then there's the rest of the Texas vibe so right right yeah it's a great place mm-hmm. have you been and that's the other thing I wanted to ask is you've seemed to just had this very linear straight path from like growing up and feeling artistic and creative mm-hmm. and being in a supportive environment to that. And then it seems like every step you're just like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's mm-hmm. what I do next. That's what I do. Um, have you traveled outside of that or have you gone outside of that line much or have you been pretty much, you know, head down working towards your goal? It feels more of the head down working towards things. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But ideally, I guess, you know, is travel something you really want to do, like traveling all over the world? Or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Which is always fun, I, but I didn't know if you had that experience or if you've been so, you seem so driven and focused that you've kind of, your travel has been towards that next step of like what you want to accomplish. I think that that's probably accurate. I, I don't take the time to like save for a traveling fund or things of that nature. I should probably get better at grant writing and approaching things from that capacity. That would, would be something that would be more conducive. <laughs> yeah, grant writing. It's, it's hard though, right? It takes so much time to do all that stuff. Yeah. yeah and, and you seem like the kind of person who loves to come to the studio every day and just focus and work. I do, yeah. yeah. Are mm-hmm. you kind of a daily per I mean, you're working these flexible things, but are you kind of like a daily a daily grind kind of person? Yes. Or do you need time off? Like after you hung the show, 
Did you take some time? No, because I didn't want it. I felt like there were some other pieces that I knew exactly how I wanted to approach them when I was dropping off the last work. And so, um, I, yeah, I didn't feel, it, yeah, there was no like period on the end of, of that of that show or body of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know some people like to go into, you know, they go away from the studio for weeks afterwards. Uh-huh. But I feel like there's always an energy bump. You know, you kind of yeah. get excited by feedback and, you know, all the kind of ideas related to people's reactions to your work that I feel like, for me, it kind of inspires me and makes me want to keep going. Right. I mean, I think something that I want to do now is to go to some, you know, open figure drawing classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, things that felt feel kind of like historical, like the New York Studio School, like yeah. looking looking at those types of like locations. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe some plein air painting. Yes. Well, <laughs> maybe wait until it gets <laughs> wait until it gets a little. Warm. I'll make like a, a special mitten. I'll just like poke a hole for like the <laughs> brush in, inside of it. Now, would you go if you went out? Let's say you went up to Storm King mm-hmm. and you were going to do some plein air painting. Mm-hmm. Would you take the traditional kit or would you get kind of would you be pushing materials a little bit? Um, I would approach it from I would I would take a traditional kit now because it feels so foreign to me in a certain sense. Right. Mm-hmm. And then work your way maybe into tweaking things, or would it just be a side project? Oh, I think more of a side project, but I think that it would probably manifest itself in the way that like the drawings do to inform the paintings and kind of understand, you know, color and texture and proportion and. Right. Um, yeah, creating a sense of openness, I guess. Yeah, because I could, I mean, in looking at these, I, I'm guessing that's charcoal, the charcoal drawings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which are really nice. I would imagine that you would be able to do plein air drawing that is abstract based. That would be. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're doing any of those sketches for the, like that sort of linear sketching for the paintings, are any of those based in life or are they purely abstract? Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely have some that are based in life. Mm hmm. Um, and, and yeah, from actually doing figure drawing, um, I did a residency a couple of years ago at the Atlantic Center for the Arts that mm-hmm. Dana Schutz had curated, and um, her and, and Ryan Johnson were like, "Hey, does anybody want to do figure drawing?" And we're like, "Oh my God, yeah! Like it's been you know at least a decade since yeah. that was um, something that felt necessary, mm-hmm. um, and that was just such a." point of freedom for me mm-hmm. and that I didn't have to yeah, obey what I was looking at because I was no longer a student anymore. It's so much fun yeah. when you go back to it. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. only it was that fun when you were originally doing it. I know, like I know. Like if you could get rid of that pressure. You know, because I see students in figure drawing classes and they're so uptight, a lot of them. Yeah. It's the, I guess it's the nerves of, oh my God, there's a naked person in the room. Right. Or, or um, my experience with figure drawing, you know, I had a like an old white male teacher who mm-hmm. had gone to Yale in like the fifties or something like that. And, um, he had didn't model, did he? <laughs> no, no. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> gruesome. Right. But it was, it was just, it was so technical. Everything was on the round and you're supposed to draw the same way that you would sculpt, which I think is really informative to how I look at things now and, mm-hmm. and important, but I still have the sheet of, the 10 different steps that you take to build a body oh, yeah. in figure drawing. The correct way to draw. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. starting with the axis and, um, you know, slowly building into, like, muscles and skin. Uh, you should come to my figure drawing class. 
<laughs> all be, that stuff goes out the window before I, the class starts. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how can you not see the body? You know what I mean? Or how can you not draw the figure? You know, all those kind of like exercises of pushing what you think figure drawing is, you know, which right. I find really fun. But you still have the figure there to work from. Right. Which is kind of exciting. Yeah. In my, in my class that I was teaching when we did um, some figure drawing, you know, I had everybody drawing on each other's drawings. Kind oh, of yeah. like working in a clock, like you know, it was like musical chairs. Like was that your approach? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at a certain point, when they get to like the eighth or ninth drawing, it just turned. Like everyone starts; they don't care anymore. That's what I love. Like when, yeah. when a drawing gets worked enough, or if I have them do one gigantic group drawing, at the beginning they're all really conscious. You know, it's a gigantic piece of paper. They're being really kind of thoughtful and okay. Here's my little part. And then as it goes on and goes on and goes on, it hits like a point, like a singularity point where it's just like they're just making marks and and it goes crazy. And it's kind of fun to do that, to like learn to just let go. Okay, we're just working. Totally. And yeah, just uh, freeing yourself from style. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, you find yourself looking at the marks that other people are making and then it gives yourself the permission to try that out as well and see what works or what doesn't. It's funny, all those little things become kind of like Rolodex ideas for the studio or, you know, things you think about in the studio later on, but not directly. It's kind of like Exquisite Corpse. Like, how can you trick yourself into making a new part of a painting or to get outside the box? Like, all those little things you learn, like contour drawing without looking, and, you know, they they become kind of like little moments that you can file away and use in the future in the studio. But you don't necessarily think about it I think everyone should after like 10 years out of school take a life drawing class Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or do a still life you know just to get back to it or if it's someone who paints still lifes all the time they should just do like a quote-unquote abstract expressionist painting right 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 (laughs) let loose man yeah yeah definitely are you and one thing I was thinking about earlier are you a Lee Krasner fan Yes. <laughs> I figured. I just, I don't know, it just popped into my head and then thinking mm-hmm. about, like, abstract. I mean, she's such a great painter. She's amazing, yeah. And you've applied to the Krasner Pollock? No. Well, you should apply to that. Okay, I'll do that. I mean, if there's a grant. Right, 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 right. That right. would be a great one to mm-hmm. apply to. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, it's amazing. Well, um, yeah, so if people want to check out your work, what's the best way, other than the show... Let's say they come to this podcast after your clo- your show closes. Online, what's the best way that I they would can say see online stuff? at this point, um, the Marinero website okay. mm-hmm, is, is, is the is the clearest mm-hmm. um, accumulation. Are you a social media? Oh yeah, I'm also on Inst- I'm on Instagram. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I've I've recently changed my handle to my name. Tracy Helena Thomason. <laughs> was it something really? Funny? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was like fake crush. I was like, this is like a could be like a DJ name or something. My, you know, I'm a grandmother whose name is Faye, so I don't know. It's like Faye a mashup. Yeah. Nice. That's a, that would be a good karaoke stage name. Right. <laughs> or maybe it is. <laughs> we. That's what we should do. We'll organize a artist karaoke session. I think that sounds beautiful. Let's do it. There's Let's a new place in Williamsburg over, you know that place across from the theater? No. Across from Williamsburg Theater, there's a new karaoke place. Okay, you get, you get the email going. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> cool, thanks for having me over. Uh, thank you so much. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Bye.
Sound and Vision was conceived, produced, recorded, edited, mastered, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alford. You can find images that I take from the podcast sessions by going to the images page on the website soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find even more images on the podcast Instagram feed at Sound and Vision Podcast. If you love hearing these artists speak about their life and work, please support the podcast by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. It's also available on Stitcher and Google Play. You can even donate to help support the podcast by clicking the donate button on the webpage. The introduction and accompanying music was generously provided by Michael Lovett. Michael records as Nazca Lines and also Moonlights in the band Metronomy. The bio and outro music were provided by Sean Seymour. Sean and his wife Yoshimi are a band called Lullatone based in Nagoya, Japan. Thanks to them and also Jacob Tutu and Logan Takahashi who have also lent music to the podcast. Thanks to all the listeners who share and support the podcast. All this is done by myself without funding and ads and it really is you all who help spread the word and you spread it well. Many thanks to all of you and all the artists for sharing their stories and time with me. 